Okay, so our message today is entitled Love That Hurts, and there's a, a picture that you might perhaps recognise there. And we're continuing in our series on the Sermon of the Mount, and we had a couple of weeks break, we had an amazing service here uh, with Matt from Open Doors, if you were here, if you didn't get this chance to that, can I encourage you to go and watch it online if you're able to. Uh, it was just an amazing time of him just sharing amazing stories of real people in the persecuted church around the world standing up for their faith. Uh, the one that re- was really powerful to me was that Chinese pastor in a solitary environment who preached to a toilet for seven years. He never didn't see another human being. But he realised that there's toilets with all the people in solitary confinement were somehow linked together for the plumbing. And God told him to preach to a toilet. He comes out of solitary confinement after seven years, talking to people in an exercise yard. 96 people came to Christ as a result of his name. This is hairs in the back of your neck kind of thing, isn't it? God wants to do the same thing here through you and I. Did you know his power is not limited to the persecuted church. His power is the same here. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So I want to encourage you, if you didn't see that, look back online and watch that. Some, lots of powerful testimony, lots of stories. And Matt really was um, really speaking to us in a powerful way. And last Sunday, if you joined us in the park, we met at the park, we had a picnic, we can get together, um, which was an awesome time. And, uh, so as we get into today's message, we're going to, we're going to first of all read from Matthew 5, verse 38 to 42. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them, you're the cheap also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles. If give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So originally I planned to do verse 38 to 48 on one Sunday. Um, that's no longer going to be the case. Uh, there's so much to unpack in these verses. And go ahead, this week, go ahead and read to the end of chapter, chapter 5 uh, in preparation for next week. There's so much to unpack here. so much that goes against every feeling we have as human beings. Goes against all of our first reactions and our second and a third. So we've been away from the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks. So I just want to remind you of what we've been saying. That back here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus announces the kingdom, but he announces it to everyone that you and I probably wouldn't. He announces the kingdom to the people that have come to him for healing. The broken, the hurting. Those who at that time were outcasts from society. Those who at that time were unable to access worship in the temple because they were unclean. 
Those who at that time, people would have looked at them and said, oh, you must, some sin in your life has caused this. So, so they were really excluded from not just religious society, all of society. There was no welfare system, there was no benefit system. If you didn't have family that could support you, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. So these would have been the beggars on the streets that have come to Jesus. And this is who he chooses to announce the kingdom of God to. This is the start of the subversive revolution of Jesus. We've been using a term called the upside-down kingdom. And what we mean by that is God starts at the bottom. We would start at the top, wouldn't we? If we were choosing the 12 disciples, what would we do? We'd look for an organiser. We'd look for a planner. We'd look for someone who'd been to, been to Bible college and knew their stuff. We'd look for all these amazing people, wouldn't we? If we were choosing a team. I always remember, I don't know if you ever played football on the playground at school. We used to at lunchtime... Funny, I, I lived in Telford till I was nine. We never played football on the playground. Came to, and I didn't really, wasn't really interested in football. Nine years old, I moved to Birmingham. Everyone plays football, so all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to get interested in football. But you would be there, wouldn't you? And you would, everyone would line up, and you have two captains, and they'd pick the teams. And who do they pick first? They always pick the best players. And if you're like me, you're always down towards the back end of the line somewhere, back towards the dregs. Of, and, uh, but, you know, I know. That, that didn't last for long, though. Once the skills started coming up, I was all right. <laughs> a few Ronaldo stepovers here and there. Also, we were only allowed to play with a ball that was this big, because people used to get hit with the ball. But anyway, it, we, we would do that, wouldn't we? We would choose the powerful, the prominent, the talented. We'll see in a few chapters when Jesus chooses all of his disciples, he chooses a ragbag bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, all in the same room together. Now we'd be looking for team harmony, wouldn't we? We'd be thinking, oh, what, what's the best fit for the team together? This is really important. Jesus chucks them all in a mix together, and here they are, probably arguing with each other along the way. The fishermen looking at, look, looking, giving evil eyes to Matthew because they hate him because he's a tax collector. Because they probably would have seen him. Every time they bring in a catch, they would have to go through the tax collector's booth. But this is how Jesus works. He works from the bottom. It's upside down in that way because he works from the bottom. He doesn't do stuff as we, as we would do it. And when we come to this passage here, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42, we can see especially that he doesn't do stuff as we do. So we see here, Matthew 5, we see love that hurts. And I say that these, this passage here, from 38 to 48, are possibly the most scandalous few verses in the entire discourse on the Sermon on the Mount. And what do I mean by that when I say scandalous? Because they hit against the very core of who you are and who I am. We saw back earlier in Matthew 5, he talked about murder, he talked about adultery, about divorce. And, and while some of, some of those weeks, I'll be honest you, were, were uncomfortable for us, you know, Jesus says, it's not just that you kill someone, it's if you harbour ill thoughts against somebody, you've as good as done it. It's not just that you've slept with someone else, if you've ever thought it in your head, you've as good as done it. 
And we talked with both of those, those things, how it was so countercultural to any culture, not just our culture. It was countercultural to first century Near East as well. It's so countercultural to our culture, to us. And our problem is, we said as we were going through those passages, was we're too enculturated with the world around us. We're too enculturated so that we, we don't even see things, it doesn't even register anymore. And we're not called to be so separate that we don't know what's going on, but we are called to be different. And here, in these verses here, we see what Jesus really gets to the heart, hits at our deepest desires, a desire to have revenge, to be right for things to be fair. And as we read these verses, it just seems wrong. Surely that Jesus didn't really mean this when he said it. Surely he couldn't possibly expect me to live this way. And because it kicks against our very innermost person, we kind of brush over it, we ignore it. And we continue to harbour grudges. We continue to speak ill of people. We continue to have that, that little video going on in our head when we're going to let this person know this when I see them next. They really need to know this. I'm going to tell them and I'm going to sort them out and I'm going to prove to them that they were wrong and I was right. I'm sure I'm not the only person that has that imaginary video going on in my head sometimes. But here Jesus says, no, this is not my way. This is not the way of the kingdom. And as we, as we seek to do discipleship and get to know each other better here, this is a huge part. It needs to start here. Can I say that? It needs to start with God's called out community here. We cannot be an example to the rest of the world of what kingdom living looks like if we're not living like we're in the kingdom together. Does that make sense? We talked before about, I used to work in sales and marketing, that the lowest, the easiest place to sell stuff is with the products that you know about to your existing customers. That's where we sit here. The Jesus we know to people who already know Jesus. Which needs to start here with us. Because I'll be honest with you, if I'm not doing it with you and you're not doing it with each other, there's very little chance we're going to do it with anyone who doesn't yet know Jesus. And this is how we strengthen our community and one another, is by practicing what Jesus speaks, practicing these ways with each other, showing sacrificial love to one another, to loving when it hurts, to loving each other when it's inconvenient. Not to be an exclusive club, but this is how we build one each other up. This is how we encourage one another. This is how we strengthen one another. I want to ask you what you might think is a bit of a daft question, being as where we're sat on a Sunday morning. Do you believe God is real? Can you put your hand up if you think so? Do we believe God is real? Most people at the hand, oh yeah, some last minute hands going on there. We believe God is real. Good. My next question, do you know him? 
You don't have to put your hands up on this one. Do you know him? Do you know him? That's a loaded question. I'll explain it. Do you know him, not just know stuff about him? See what the difference that is? We can know everything there is to know about someone, but yet not know them. My, my dad was always interested in history. And I'd love, in the, late in the evenings, it was quiet when I was probably in my early teens, we'd just sit and just chat about history, about historical stuff. He was a bit of a, I don't, I don't know, he just, it was just one of his things, he liked history. And we'd talk about people in sometimes the Second World War and you know, if you think about famous characters, we think about Winston Churchill, we probably might even, if you're into history, you might be able to quote some of the things he said. You know, you might quote some of his, his famous speeches, we will fight them on the beaches. If you've done a bit further history, you might have known that he fought in the Boer War in South Africa before he did that. You might know about some of his political career. You might know how he was ousted from government after the Second World War. You might know a bit about his family. And if you're really weird, like me, you've been to see his grave. Three times. Three times. We had some American friends who were fascinated with it. And any time we were travelling anywhere to the south of the country, we had to go by his grave. I'm not quite sure why. I was about 10 or 11. It was just really a bit odd. They never, we never went to Blenheim Palace, which would have been really great, but we went to see his grave three times. So you could say uh, we got to know a bit about this chap, but could I say I knew him? I didn't know him. I've probably formed an opinion about him, but because I don't know him, my opinion is probably wrong. Same thing with God. There are a lot of people who know about him. A lot of people would say, yes, I believe there's a God. They know some stuff about him. But because we don't know him, our opinion we form about him is completely wrong. Because we don't know him intimately, we don't know how he works. We don't know what he thinks about you. We don't know how he views us. And if we don't know him intimately... If we don't have that level of deep relationship and communion with him, we can never trust him. So Holly and I have been married for 24 years this year. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, give her a round of applause for knowing that long. And we know each other really well. I think. I might put my foot in it here. But I entrust my wife implic implicitly, 100%, without fail. Because I know she has my best interest, the interests of our family at heart. And we fall out of, with ourselves and with each other occasionally, and just, it's just life. But actually, we, we also, even in the middle of, of perhaps a disagreement, I know that she has my best interests at heart. Because I know her. Because I've spent time to get into know her. I could tell you lots of soppy stories, but I won't because I'll get, I won't just want to there. But, but we spent time getting to know each other. We spent time with each other. You know, since we were 17 and 18, I think, we've known each other. I know, it's great, isn't it? But, but actually, 
I, I know her intimately, and I know lots, it's probably lots of thoughts we both have that, especially me being a bloke, I'm completely oblivious to. That's not a general thing, that's just for me. Um, but how well do we know God? How well do we know God? I think this is the root cause a lot of our struggles as Christians in this church. We don't know him well enough. So when we come to passages like this that says, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. We're like, oh, I don't like the, don't like the sound of that. Because we don't know his heart. We don't know his heart, so therefore we don't trust him. We used to sing an old hymn, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You might have known that one. But if we don't know him intimately, not just know about him, not just at one point in the past have come to him and this is not excluding whether you're quote unquote saved or not saved or whatever language you want to use. Within that whole process, we've got to get to know him intimately. Intimately. And when I was growing up as a kid, the way that I was told to do that was read your Bible and pray. Just read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Which, of course, is true. And this is no criticism of anyone, but even being brought up in a ministry home, no one ever sat down, sat down with me and said, should we see what this looks like? Should we work on this together? Should we encourage one another? Should we spend some time together in prayer? This is the whole thing that I said at the beginning with the discipleship. We do it together. We encourage one another. We build one another up. We cry together. We lay hands on for one another. We pray for the, for the deepest, darkest, worrying things in our lives together. And together we get to know him intimately. We get to know him, not just know stuff and facts about him. And when we come to these passages, we see that his words are scandalous to our ears. They're counterintuitive and opposite to everything that we want. Because if we follow them, they could cause you to die for your faith. That was the case in the first century Near East. So that was a little clip from a series called The Chosen, which some of you might have seen. Uh, you might have seen some of it. It was just really fitting, I thought, actually, um, for today. And we laugh at that, don't we? In that little bit at the end, we said, you were going to use the power of God to rain down bolts of lightning from the sky. And you're like, oh, that's ridiculous. How many of us are actually like that when we get rubbed up the wrong way? How many of us actually just want to grab someone and throttle them and tell them what, how dare they? How dare they? They just need to know that they're wrong. They just need to know that they can't possibly think of doing that. And just think about the words that the character that's playing Jesus said. You think you're worthy? Think about that for a moment. Does God love you more than the delivery man who has left your parcel outside and it's got nicked? Or whatever it might be. Does God love you more than the person that's cutting you up as you're in a rush to get to work or to school or get home? 
Does God love you more than the protesters that are stopping the M25 or the, the streets around London? Does God love you more than your annoying neighbour that keeps chopping away at your beloved tree in your back garden? Jesus says no. And this is what I expect as my followers. This is how we're called to live. Jesus here is creating this new way to live based on love. When we look at this passage, it seems impossible, almost wrong. But this is the way of love chosen by God. Here, Jesus sweeps away all of our inmost desires and says, the way of love is the only way. Let's show you this quote from a chap called Howard Thurman. He says, of all weapons, love is the most deadly and devastating, and few there be who dare trust their fate in its hands. Love is the most deadly and devastating weapon. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hate, anger, retribution, getting my own back, letting them know what I really think is not my way, is what Jesus says here. In verse 38, Jesus says again, this bit is familiar. You ever heard it said, heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And Jesus picks up on here, if you want to look at it in your own time, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it actually does just say that. But he fulfills it with his words. And, and the problem was that at the, that time, and even for us now, People had taken God's words, twisted them, subverted them to suit their own ends and their own desires. God was never saying you could have carte blanche retribution because you hate somebody. That was never, never the, never the purpose of that. God said to them, be holy as I am holy. And now we hear every time Jesus says, you have heard it said, he steps in and takes passages that have been twisted to suit people's own agendas. Remember Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If how people were reading those passages, and if how we would like to read a lot of the Bible was really the intention, then none of us would be standing here today. If how we want the, how what we want the Bible to say were God's ways was how God thought about you and I, then none of us would be standing here today. The way of Jesus, the way of the Father, who in spite of our arrogance, our wickedness, our denial of truth, always responds with love. In the Old Testament, it talks about a hesed love. In the New Testament, it's an agape love that's really is, is encapsulated in Romans 5.8 that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were in the act of sinning, in the act of rebellion against God, Christ died 
for you. That's not how I think. That's not how I operate. But this is God. This is how God thinks towards the people he's created in his image. This is how God operates towards us. He always moves because of love. The most famous verse in the Bible, and we talked about it yesterday, John 3.16. He gave, why? Because he loved. Because he loved. Because he saw the world that was broken and hurting and in pain, who would go in every rich way except back to him, so he gave of his one and only son. Freely gave. Gave freely generously, overflowing with generosity. That's the God that we don't know enough about. That's the God who we're not intimately in relationship with. In what Jesus is saying here from verse 38 to verse 48, he says, this is fulfilling the law and the prophets, but what he's saying, this mirrors my Father's heart towards you. You think, well, I don't understand that. It says in verse 39, if anyone slaps the right cheek, turn them to the other. How often is God dealt out punishment that you and I deserve? If he did that, we would not be here. We would not be standing here today. But instead, in this upside-down kingdom that he creates, he does the opposite. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but he sent his own son to die in our place. We've become too familiar with facts. We've become too, too, too full of knowledge that we've forgotten the depths of what this really means. This should move us to just to a sense of worship in awe of a God who would love you and I so much. And yes, he hates sin. And yes, he longs for us jealously. And yes, he, 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 he hates injustice in, in our broken and fallen world. And, and yes, he, he wants to be intimately in a relationship with us. And yes, he, he will chase you down. He will leave the 99 and chase after you as the one. Time and time and time again. This is God, guys, this is, this is so important. Because if this is not the foundation of who we are as God's called out community, if this is not the foundation of who we are when we're outside of this community, when we're in the world, when, when we're at school, when we're, when we're in our workplace, when we're with our, our, our awkward neighbours, then we're not showing the way to Jesus. Let me read you a verse from the book of 1 John. First John chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Just think about that for a moment. Just dwell on that very fact just for a moment. We said yesterday, we were here yesterday celebrating the, the marriage of Anna and Nina. And something I said to everyone, because I didn't know where they were, is that even if they've decided God doesn't exist, he still loves them. Even if you've chosen to ignore God all of your life, he still loves you and longs to be in a relationship with you. A deep, meaningful communion that you will never experience anywhere else. He will chase you. He will hunt you down. And if you know him and you've turned away from him, from personal experience, he will not stop until you stop listening. He will not stop until we start paying attention to what he's calling us to do. In here in verse 39, and we're going to close with verse 39 today, and we'll pick up the rest, the rest of this passage next week. And we, we, again, like we said earlier, this, this whole idea, if anyone punches you in the face, give them the other, show them the other one. And, and this whole idea has been so twisted and turned around. Let me tell you, Jesus was not a doormat. Okay? People did not walk all over him. And neither does he call you or I to be. If Jesus was a doormat, no one would have crucified him. Let's just understand that, that concept. No one would have understood and crucified Jesus if he was a doormat and let everyone walk all over him because they would have had no need to. I don't know if any of you have read or watched the C.S. Lewis books or the C.S. Lewis movies, and you've got this character, Aslan, which... If you read about it and read about who he is in, this, in, the, in these books, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan gets killed to save somebody else. It couldn't be any clearer, really. But afterwards, Lucy and her sister, which I've forgotten her name, they come... come Susan, thank you. Come, come to him, and they're like, I don't understand what happened. And he responds... And he calls it the deep magic before the dawn of time. Now, if you know C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was a Christian. God is written in through all of his books. And there's a, there's a deep power here. And the love we're talking about today is a deep love that started before the dawn of time. Our Bible tells us God is love. Not that he chooses to love on his on days and chooses not to on his off days, but that he is love. And there is a deep, world-changing power found in these words. There is a deep power in this love that it's talking about. A power I think we have forgotten. A power that has been lost. A power often 
that has been left behind in self-interest. And this power is found in active love. Love at all costs. Love without limits. Love that's willing to sacrifice, that desires to serve, and is found in the acronym of joy that we talked about a few weeks ago. We used to sing a song in Sunday school, and I keep coming back to this, and it's no surprise that I do, that I do really. We used to sing a song, Jesus, others, and then you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Because we're called to be in intimate relationship with our Savior. We're called, first of all, to love one another. First, sacrificially love one another. We're called to lay our lives down for one another. And the ultimate expression of love was not just in Christ going to the cross with that picture, but how he did it. Let me read a verse to you just in closing. From the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34. It's not just that Christ went to the cross and died for you and for me. And that was, believe me, was enough. But in verse 34 of Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In that passage, Jesus takes Matthew 5.39 to a whole other level. Not only is it someone punches me, I'm not going to retaliate, but it's actually, I'm going to go to the cross and let them kill me. And even then, I'm praying that the Father would forgive the very ones who put me here. This is the subversive, upside-down love of the kingdom of God. I want to ask you again, do we believe that God is real? Do you know him? Do you trust him? It's only when we know him and we trust him that we can ever begin to imagine to obey him. Because until that point, obedience seems hard, it seems difficult, it seems like something I don't want to do. But when I know him intimately, when I trust him without limits, obedience isn't even a question because it's just overflowing out of the fullness of my heart. Do we know him today? Can I just say, if you want to know him more, if, if you're like, I, I, I'm kind of lost here, I don't know where to start, perhaps you're here and, and you've never experienced the love of God, would you come and pray with someone after the service? And if you don't want to pray up here, if you know where the prayer room is, there's people in the prayer room right now that have been praying for you all through the last half an hour, who are more than happy to sit down and pray with you. If you want to just sneak out in the back and go into the prayer room, you want to pray with someone, you want to talk with someone, please do that. If you're more comfortable just doing it where you're sat, can we open our hearts and lives to the king of the universe today and say, Lord, just show me your way of love. I want to do what you've called me to do but there's so much within me that stops me. As our worship team come, we're going to sing again. And as they do, I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your love. We thank you, Father, that you are love, as it tells us in Scripture. We thank you that you didn't just give us words and commands to follow, but you, you, you modeled them for us. 
that you said to live this way because this is how you are towards us already. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us on the cross. We thank you for the love of the Father. Lord, would you refresh our relationship with you in it? Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us in our hearts? Would we see revival in our hearts even today? We just want to thank you. We're in awe and wonder of you and the love that you've poured out on us undeservedly. We don't deserve it. Nothing we can do can ever make us worthy enough except you, Jesus. As we worship you, we lift our voices to you in praise just because of who you are this morning. We thank you. We thank you that you've been here with us today, Jesus. Would you continue to work and move amongst us as we sing? And Lord, would you go before us as we go from this place? We ask all this in your mighty and powerful and precious name. Amen.